So, Ammo, we've already talked about our first exposure to death as kids. Dead mom, got it. I'm really glad you're leaning into the dead mom jokes. Well, I'm allowed one per episode, right? I'm like um, Jules from what culture? I'm proud of you, bud. Very proud of you. When it comes to exposure to death, just because adults don't talk to their kids about it doesn't mean that children don't learn about it from things like movies, books, or video games. Crikey. (laughs) The first death of someone from outside of my personal life that hit me the hardest was Steve Irwin. Same. I I know, it, it hit hard. I abruptly remember no longer wanting to be a crocodile hunter when I grew up. But there was literally a vacancy in that position at that point. I know, right? Lost opportunity. And then there was that horrendous time afterwards when people were hunting stingrays as revenge. People are honestly just the worst. Yeah, I never understood that. Like, they were going to find the one that killed him. It's not what Steve would have wanted. He died doing what he loved. Agreed. R.I.P. Steve. What was the death that hit you the hardest instead of your family first as a kid? Hmm... Well, I don't think it hit me the hardest, but it, there's a story that my family loves to bring up. So when we went to see Jurassic Park 2 in the cinema, when that first came out, I was a kid. Uh, you know, a massive T-Rex tramples on a dude and then the leg lifts up and you see him like dead underneath. And little ammo, probably about six or seven at the time, loudly asks, is he dead? <laughs> yes, and, sweetie, he's dead. <laughs> yeah. And uh, to this day, my family will still bring that up. So he was dead though, right? Like your family told you? No, it was fictional. He was an actor. (sighs) Actor. I assume you're familiar with Disney movies then? Yes, ma'am. So you're familiar with how much death there is in these movies? Wait, what? Yes, Disney movies are filled with death, dying, and grief. And yet no one thinks of it because it's Disney. Oh, like Lion King. Yep, and The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin. In fact, protagonists and antagonists die in equal percentages. Did you know that? Huh. I never really realized there was that much death in Disney, to be honest. Yep, I know this because of the coolest journal study on Omega Journal I found. So Meredith Cox, Aaron Garrett, and James A. Graham from the College of New Jersey wrote a 15-page paper called Death in Disney Films, Implications for Children's Understanding of Death. For those unfamiliar, Omega Journal is a peer-reviewed academic journal that covers all aspects of the study of death and dying. It's super cool. Huh, and I thought I was cool for doing my university dissertation on Batman and Superman. That's so funny. I did my thesis project on women in comic books. We're like the same, but thankfully so different. Yeah. Theirs must have been the funnest paper to research. Nice one, Meredith, Erin, and James. What exactly did they look at? They focused on understanding how portrayal of death in Disney movies can impact children and their comprehension of death and dying. That's wild. Like, could you could you imagine, hello, I'm Dr. James A. Graham, PhD. Oh, wow, fancy. What was your field of study? I've seen Bambi's mom die 140 <laughs> times. But you did yours on Batman and Superman, right? Yeah, but not for 15 pages. Mine was only 11. So you saw Batman lose his parents 110 times, and you saw Clark get endlessly ripped away from his Kryptonian family, what, 100 times? Yeah. Speaking of Bambi, was that one of the ones they looked at? 
you betcha, hashtag dead mom gang. But that's not all. They also looked at Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, Sleeping Beauty, The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, The Lion King, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. That's a really good movie. Hercules, Mulan, and Tarzan. Wow, that's a, that's a lot of death. And that's a pretty comprehensive study of it. Exactly. It's not like your 11-page children's book that you wrote for your university thesis. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'd be angry if you weren't so right. Hashtag Baff Spa gang. <laughs> so I'm going to get this out of the way first because you're going to make fun of me. I had the biggest crush on Aladdin and Hercules growing up. You were so basic. Well, also Esmeralda from Hunchback of Notre Dame. Okay, maybe not. Maybe not. Who was your Disney crush? Hmm... Okay, how about I deflect that question with an even more embarrassing answer? Go for it. I'll allow it. So my nickname at school for a little while was uh, was Mowgli. Oh, my God. I can kind of see that, actually. Yep. So don't say I never gave you nothing. How is that embarrassing? That's so cute. I don't want to be a little kid in red pants in the jungle. I want to be a man in red pants in the city. <laughs> to be fair, it was more underwear, but okay, I'll give you that. Yeah. So Mowgli, want to know how they broke down their study with how Disney does death? Yes, this is going to be the best episode ever. They broke down their study by looking at five main categories or factors present in the movies. The first one was character status. This is looking at what role did the character that died played in the narrative, whether they're a good person or a bad person, a hero or an antagonist, et cetera, et cetera. The second one they looked at was the depiction of death. This looked at whether the death was explicitly shown on screen or implied through dialogue, visual cues, or whatever the case may have been. The third was death status. This looked at the permanence of the death. So whether the death was final or if the deceased character comes back in some way. Next was emotional reaction. This is how the film implies that the audience should feel about the character's death. This can be through music, setting, and other characters' reactions. The fifth and final category was causality. Looking at things like whether the death was accidental, purposeful, and even how justified or not it was in the narrative, such as whether it was a comeuppance. Okay, so that's who the character was, how the death was shown, how permanent it is, the reaction to their death, and how justified it was, right? They, uh, they really went in on this one. This is a legit scientific study of how we are so traumatized by Mustafa's death. It's incredible. It is. This is the best kind of science. Let's break it down in that case. Agreed. Let's each pick a movie from the list we mentioned before and see if we can pick out sections from the study to help us apply the five categories and or factors. Perfect idea. I pick first. I want to choose Beauty and the Beast because that's one of my favorite Disney movies. Of course, that's the one you pick, Stockholm Syndrome, the animated movie. That is not why. I just really like Belle as a character, though I do recognize that she's kept against her will, but that doesn't play too much into the deaths that I'm thinking of. Hmm. You're going to pick The Lion King, aren't you? Ah, so when ya. A classic. Mama beats Yahweh. <laughs> Good pick. Give I still cry at that death scene, so I'm glad you're making light of the situation right now. <laughs> oh, it's like Hamlet for kids. It's it's so good. Okay, so 
For this, we will look at each category and then we'll relate the study's findings to the movie we picked, right? Yep. So let's start with character status. Perfect starting point. So my character's status... Uh, it's being, being a bunch of lions, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but no, there's, there's more to it than that. Exactly. So as we mentioned earlier, protagonists and antagonists died an equal amount of times in the films. Perfectly balanced, as all things should be. Or entropy, depending on how you look at it. The researchers mentioned that this balance between the deaths of good and bad characters is very important because it's fair. It makes kids understand that everyone dies, whether they're a good or bad person. Mm, yeah, that's true. It's uh, it's like a primer for basically telling them that everyone's going to die, even mommy, even daddy, even though they're good people, little Johnny. Welcome to the real world, you little shit. <laughs> Get a job, contribute to the economy. <laughs> But yeah, exactly. After so two days. <laughs> or is it three bereavement days? Yeah. <laughs> as soon as they're popped out, go get a job. Um, everybody poops and everybody dies pretty much. We should write a book, honestly. We'd be a, make a killing. Yeah. Or is it the other way around? Because <laughs> when you die, your bowels eventually relax. So you die, then you poop. Knowledge is power. It is. Or unless... Or it's Because it, you poop when you're alive, then you die, then you poop again. It's literally a shit sandwich. Yeah, it's the circle of life. Circle of the shit. Yeah. Student has become the master. So, <laughs> character status in Beauty and the Beast. For Beauty and the Beast, Gaston is seen as the antagonist in the film. He runs around town talking smack and eventually tries to kill the beast, only to be killed himself. Yeah, but that's all right, because he can do more push-ups than the tourists at Disney World. Right, guys? Yeah, no, he's the worst. So his death is obviously seen as a comeuppance of sorts. Exactly. Which death have you picked from The Lion King? So when it comes to The Lion King, uh, spoilers for this like 25-year-old movie, but Mufasa dies. So, Sorry, Jenna and Jenny. Yeah. So he's set up as basically the ruler of all that the light touches, uh, you know, patriarch, a father figure to his son, Simba, in the beginning. He's fair, he's brave, he's stoic, and he's filled with so much of that sort of regal wisdom. He's, in a classical sense, that ideal ruler. So then all of that sets up the idea of how much Simba, and therefore us, the audience, start to idolize him. And there's a great shot of um, how baby Simba puts his paw in Mufasa's footprints, literally showing us how big those shoes are to fill. So cute. And then he's ripped away from our hearts and souls. Absolutely brutal. Yeah, yeah. So his character status would be considered a protagonist because of his positive relationships with Simba, the kingdom, and the audience. He's even fair to Scar, who is obviously his evil brother. What a wonderful segue into the second category, which is death depiction. Mm -hmm. Most people's least or most favorite part. Yep. As mentioned, death depiction looks at specifically how the character died and takes into account things like whether the death was implicit or explicit, as in how it's shown to the audience. Okay, so then with, with The Lion King, Scar's death is pretty heavily implied through the visuals, because it's, mm -hmm. but it's not shown straight up. What happens is you see his own gang of hyenas turn against him, then the camera pans to like a rock, and I think... 
their shadows then cast onto the rock and you can basically see him get mauled by all of his homies. Yep, it's a cinematic masterpiece. Mm. It's almost as if the creators knew that the cowardly Scar deserved a real brutal death and created a shot where they could still do that, but within the confines of a kid's film, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess it's implicit, like just about. Yeah, I would definitely make that argument too. When it comes to implicit death, they accounted for a slightly higher percentage of deaths when compared to explicit ones. With these movies being mostly for children, you'd think that wouldn't be the case. Exactly. Disney be bold, yo. With that said, though, implicit deaths also occur more among antagonists at a whopping 70%, while only 30% of protagonists die implicitly. That makes sense. It's easier to morally justify showing deaths to people who, quote unquote, deserve it. And then it also helps, I think, with the classification boards as well, in terms of age ratings or even getting the film banned or having to be re-edited. Yeah, that's a fair point. When I took um, media studies, we went on a field trip to the uh, BBFC. The BBFC stands for the British Board of Film Certification. So I actually met the person who made the decision to ban uh, Manhunt 2 uh, in the UK. It was a video game until they edited some of the gore. But this uh, organization, they basically decide whether a piece of media gets released in the UK and what rating it gets. Oh, that's so cool. That's such an interesting job. And I remember you telling me about this game and to give them like fair credit, I totally understand why it got banned. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't know if things have changed since, but it was also a really small team that dealt with this. Like Mm. literally every piece of media that gets released in the UK at that point was being dealt with by a small team. So it was a job that needed an entrepreneurial mindset and works well in a fast-paced environment and is always ready to pivot when necessary. <laughs> yep, yep. You sound just like LinkedIn. <laughs> so, And not going to be revealing the pay range. Damn right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, LinkedIn sucks. Um, <laughs> yeah, so... Their rules, aside from the usual stuff like banning stuff that's outright illegal, um, their rules include them giving a higher age rating or even banning something that doesn't fairly portray the consequences of bad actions. Oh, like the comeuppance we mentioned. We've been saying that word a lot. It's really nice, yeah. like that word. Exactly. So, uh, I, again, I don't know if this is still the case, but it's almost as if creators have more leeway to show the deaths of bad characters more explicitly because there's a bit more to justify that. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, especially when you explain it that way. Yeah, and from a narrative standpoint, it's just so much more satisfying to see it happen and then get that sense of justice and closure and for them to stay dead as well. Mm-hmm. It's a little, little bit of a rush. Later, we can actually touch on emotional reactions to death, which is going to be really interesting to dive into. Before we jump ahead, though, let's look at my antagonist's death, Gaston from Beauty and the Beast. Ooh. So with the Beast finally beating Gaston on the roof, he's about to land a killing blow. Belle tells him to stop, which he does, highlighting his human side and the ability to show mercy. But then Gaston, like the a-hole that he is, takes advantage of this moment to go after the Beast again. The Beast gets stabbed and he writhes in pain, accidentally pushes Gaston, causing him to stumble and ultimately fall to his death. 
Interesting. See, there's a lot to unpack here. So given what we just mentioned, would Gaston's death be considered implicit too? Because you you don't see him actually fall to his death, right? Yeah, to the ground. That, I would say that. But it's interesting how justified the death is. One, the beast showed mercy and Gaston didn't, humanizing the beast and making Gaston, ironically, seem like the animal or the beast that he was mm. trying to kill. Yep, love it. Two, the fact that Gaston uses this as a chance to take a cheap shot only adds to his negative character, further justifying his death. Yeah, and then don't forget the fact that he also showed that his death was basically uh, an accident or as a result of him taking the cheap shot. Mm -hmm. You know, if that implied that Gaston would have just kept going for the beast no matter what. So this was the only solution to stop him attacking him. Yeah, completely. Can we think of any explicit deaths, though? Because both of ours are implicit right now. Yeah. Um, the only one I can think of that was killed explicitly was um, Ursula from The Little Mermaid. Oh, my God. <laughs> Bro, they yeah. full-on shank her in the stomach with a boat. Brutal. Right? I remember telling you about it and you not believing me when I told you that she was full-on shanked. It was so detailed, too, like her just writhing in pain. Keep in mind, this movie is meant for little kids, yeah, like when I looked up the scene, it was pretty shocking, to be honest. And I think there's something also to be said about how they depict these kinds of deaths. So, you know, how to the point and transparent the animations themselves are. Yeah, it kind of gives the kids a realistic look at death, albeit through cartoon animations. Yeah. So, you know, with Ursula's, you know she's not coming back, <laughs> or at least not anytime soon. Yeah, exactly. The third category they looked at when it came to deaths in Disney movies was the death status of the character, so the permanence of it. Okay, so that's whether they stayed dead or not. Yeah, pretty much. I feel like it's more impactful when it's permanent. Yep, the uh, the good old days before post-credit scenes. I, I love the MCU, but thanks for that, Marvel. Now, no villains really get their comeuppance, and everything needs to have a cliffhanger ending because it needs to be a universe. Yep, yet nobody is willing to put in the time or effort to create a cohesive universe. They just rush it like the Disney movies. Yep, at this rate, even Heinz probably has a cinematic universe starring ketchup, mayo, and mustard, and then mustard runs out, and then in the post credit scene, you find out they've actually got Dijon. Special appearance by Glean Cuisine. Damn straight, gross. Saucy, spicy. I was kind of shocked when I read this, actually. It said that most deaths shown were permanent. I was kind of shocked because mainly I'd assume that more Disney movies would be more whimsical and make the character come back to life in some way. Yeah, that is a bit weird, but sort of coming back from death is more of a comic book or supernatural thing, I guess. Plus, most Disney flicks take place in their own individual universes, so outside of sequels, bringing them back isn't really worth it. That's fair. There's also this whole dialogue around Hercules and the Little Mermaid being cousins, but that's another discussion for a different day. Uh, the takeaway from this is that this is seen as a positive message, though, and it reinforces the idea that death is permanent. They mentioned that, for whatever reason, young children don't fully grasp that concept, though. And do you agree with that? To be honest, as a kid, I may not have like fully understood that my mom was dead, but I definitely knew she was not coming back anytime soon. So I'm always wary whenever people say that kids don't get it. 
when I think they do. I think they just lack the language to thoroughly explain themselves and their emotions. And adults, with the assumption of just kids don't understand, they don't put the effort into helping them recognize what they may be going through. And some of the studying that I've been doing right now through my thanatology work is showing that kids process grief. It's just displayed very differently than adults. Yeah, that makes sense. Like even in The Lion King, you know, you and I can make the argument that although Simba was a cub, he was very aware of what the consequences of his father's death was. Mm -hmm. I mean, the entire movie is just about him running away from his problems. We wouldn't have a movie if he didn't understand what was happening. Well, I mean, it's not just about that. It's about how he also somehow just gains Matthew Broderick's voice. His main <laughs> resembles 90s curtains. And, <laughs> oh and you know how like Nala gives him that look and they're rolling around in the grass like they're going to fuck. Oh my God, ammo my eyes. Like the rolling that they're doing. Well, speaking of eyes, she gives Simba the fuck me eyes. You know that bit. We, I know. We Can we just not? Dude, there's a lion getting torn to pieces by a pack of hyenas. It's, it's fine. I mean, it's implied, but I also guess that's implied as well. <laughs> also, what about permanence? Oh, yeah, no, he, he dead. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Mufasa's not coming back for shit. <laughs> oh, except when he comes back in the clouds. Which we will discuss later. But yes, for Beauty and the Beast, Gaston's death isn't as clear that it's permanent, but it is implied. Yeah, so what would be an example of a non-permanent Disney death? You know, like the, the good old fatality reverse Uno card. <laughs> as opposed to Mortal Kombat's finish him? Seriously, though, as an example, not to give away too many spoilers for the youngins, but one would be the recent movie titled Soul. I haven't seen it, so I assume you're about to ruin it for me. That's what I signed up for, I guess. Well, I mean, I haven't signed anything, but... It's totally fine. Do not worry. Just know that the guy comes back. So 26% of deaths in the study were recorded as reversible. And of those, 67% came back in the same form as before. With that said, all reversible deaths occurred in protagonists, showing that antagonists do not get a second chance at life after being a complete dick. Yeah, I mean, there's the part in The Lion King where Mufasa talks to Simba from beyond the grave, from the clouds. Remember who you are, you know? And uh, I mean, the jury is still out if that was like a vision or if that was his spirit actually talking to Simba. But in the context of this study, is that seen as reversible? Very good catch, and I'm glad you brought that up. In the eyes of the study, that example is actually considered to be a reversible death because the character is still returning to communicate with Simba. It's important to note that the form he returns as, a cloud or a vision, whatever the case may be, accounts for how 33% of reversible deaths are shown, a reversible altered form of death. Okay. So it's like a different form. So it's death then in that case is permanent in terms of the physical body, but not spiritual, spirit, solely soul stuff. <laughs> the gooey stuff inside. <laughs> According to the study, quote, a reversible death is one where a character returns in one or two ways. A reversible same form death is one in which the character seemingly comes back from a dead or seemingly dead state in his or her original body 
or they, them. In a reversible altered form death, the character returns either in a physical transformed state or in the form of a spirit. Huh. I do like that they accounted for that because that's something that a lot of people would bring up. The the form that the revived character takes when they are revived. Mm-hmm. The interesting parts about Disney is that they do play quite a bit with spirituality and what the afterlife looks like. Hmm. Speaking of afterlife, did you know that the whole Walt Disney being frozen thing is actually a myth? Oh, yeah, I knew that. You know what isn't a myth, though? Him Him being being a a terrible terrible person. person. Okay, so the fourth category we can look at here is the emotional reaction to the character's death. Oh, I can tell you my emotional reaction to Mufasa's death right now. All right, folks, this is it. Step right up. This is the episode where Ammo finally cries. Get your tickets. <laughs> yep, we'll, uh, we'll bottle up my tears and we'll send them directly to you. All you have to do is subscribe to my Only Frowns account. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of frowns. Oh, my God. <laughs> Speaking of frowns, this category is basically how... Everyone around the dead one reacts to their death, right? Boom. You got it, Mr. Frownface. This category was very interesting to look at because it heavily ties into the character's status in the role, whether they were an antagonist or a protagonist. Makes sense. The study also goes on to say that positive emotion reactions, that's to say when they respond to the death as if it's a good thing or a victory, only occurred towards antagonists. Yeah, no, that also makes sense. Um, it also explains the, the Disney villain mentality that the world has right now. My country good, your country bad. No, little Simba, it's more nuanced than that. <laughs> Remember who you are. <laughs> yep, antagonist deaths were also the deaths that lacked any real emotional reaction, almost giving us the A-OK to not even recognize it worthy of a reaction at all. That's a very Disney world way of dealing with things, I think. Um, When I say that, I mean planet Earth. We're living in one giant Disneyland theme park, guys. Oh, say more. Uh, Not my idea, but it comes from Umberto Eco and Jean Baudrillard from the uh, postmodern school of philosophy, which you know is my jam. It's good to know you not only steal your jokes, you also steal ideas. But go on, give me Cole's notes. (laughs) Nice. Uh, so they talk about the idea of hyperreality and simulation, and they use Disneyland as an example. So when they say uh, a simulated reality, they don't mean like the Matrix. They mean the replication of ideas, but to the point where the original thing loses meaning. Good job. We will add it to the show notes. Okay, that's Maria for Shut Up Now. <sighs> Gosh, forgive me for not wanting to share more knowledge with our listeners. Where were we? Uh, Mufasa's death. So, sparked sadness and grief in surrounding characters and audiences alike. Uh, The bit where he's trying to wake up his dad. I still sometimes cry when watching that scene. Simba finds Mufasa's body and tries to wake him up under that little tree by pushing his head into his mane. All this is happening right after we thought Simba was going to die. There's a lot going on. Yeah, and when it came to Scar, his death, there was a celebratory, almost relieving feel to his death. Mm-hmm, 100%. So, like we talked about earlier, seeing the shadows of the hyenas on the, the rock face, implying that he was totally mauled by his, quote, loyal subjects that he treated so badly was the perfect comeuppance. And then 
looking further, if you take Pride Rock as a character in the film itself, you look at how after uh, Mufasa died, how it basically goes to crap. And then after Scar's death, it's restored to what it was before. The location they're in reacts positively to it as if it was a character itself. Mm-hmm. Which The setting. Yeah, yeah, the setting, yeah. It helps to justify his death. Yep. When it came to Beauty and the Beast, the only death that happened in that movie was when Gaston died. And I remember thinking as a small child how warranted it felt for him to die, especially after Beast basically spared his life and he still decided to try and stab him. Yeah, man, that's a dick move. He lost all respect from audiences after that. Not that he started out with much in the beginning, but... (laughs) So the thing with these movies is that they're mostly watched by children. You heard it here first, folks. Uh, Disney movies are for children. (laughs) Obviously, there are children who are born into families that are very averse to discussing death, dying, loss, grief, bereavement. You take your pick. So in some cases, these examples are the first time a child processes a loss or understands how to properly react to a death. This is how they learn through seeing these interactions play out on screen, even if it is an animated person or figure. Yep. So the way that a lot of these Disney characters react to death, I think might actually provide kids with their first grief model of sorts. Yeah, totally. As a first method of better understanding reactions to death, especially for those who may lack experience with the topic, these completely work. Mm. TV really does teach your kids, huh? If they're being shown sadness and grief in movies, they're taught that these reactions are normal and okay after a death, even if they don't learn that from their own families. Yep, and hopefully that'll offset at least some of that trauma. Because it worked so well for us, right? (laughs) So the final category in the research looks at causality, which we've already covered quite a bit. And that is if they basically deserve to die or not, right? Like how justified was the death as a punishment? Yep, exactly. Like a few of the other categories, this ties into other ones, like the emotional reaction category. Hmm. What about this study? Any insights about this one? Yep. Purposeful deaths were 70% of all deaths, and of those, 38% were justified and 62% were seen as unjustified. It's important to note that this part of the study also looks at whether the death is accidental or not, which contributes to whether it's justified or not. How would it being accidental link with it being justified? So Gaston dies at the end of the Beauty and the Beast, right? Even though he kidnapped Belle, put Belle's dad into prison, raided the beast's home, and tried to kill the beast twice. His death was accidental because he lost his own balance after the stabbing. As for his death, although it was accidental, it was justified because all this whack-ass shit he did before. This gives people the idea that the bad guy gets what they deserve while still allowing the protagonist to look good. This is what they mean when they say the death is seen as justified, when the characters deem as almost deserving the death. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean now. See, in in pro wrestling, they call this protecting. So if the heel, the the bad guy, wins by cheating, the good guy, called the babyface, takes the L without looking weak. Oh, so in this case, Scar is the heel and Mufasa is the babyface? Boom. So as for causality of the deaths in Lion King... Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I got it. So uh, Mufasa's character is as follows... Um, uh, as I mentioned, from the condition that Pride Rock is in at the start of the film and how other animals respect the family, he's portrayed as like a fair and caring ruler and father. 
There's also the fact that he literally dies trying to save his own kid, but that death is still on purpose because he's set up by Scar and then he's actually finished off later. And then Scar uses this as a chance to get Simba to exile himself and uh, claim the throne. Super unjustified death. Hundo P. I mean, this has to be the most unjustifiable death or of all unjustifiable deaths because he didn't do anything wrong other than just be like a monarch, which actually, now that you mention it, you know my feelings about monarchy. (laughs) Oh, that we do, that we do. At least I do. But king of the jungle, you know? And because of the causality, his death garners a negative, read, natural, emotional reaction, while Gaston's evokes a more positive one. Yeah, that makes total sense. It's weird because we all know this, like we're not saying anything new, but we've just never seen it broken down so scientifically before. Yeah, it's super interesting. There's so many layering issues to focus on when it comes to how death is portrayed. And all of these are just focused on Disney movies. Could you imagine if we did a full study of animated films? Oh man, that would be wild. The human condition is told through animated children's flicks. I'd read it. Better than chick flicks. Mm. Uh, You also wouldn't need to. You just look right in the mirror. (laughs) Please credit me as Amadeep. The human condition is told through animated children flicks. So, Mal, for this episode, please. (laughs) Deal. Oh, by the way, the study was done in the early 2000s, which means this is arguably a study that can do with a bit of a refresher with a lens 20 years later. Ooh, snap. Yeah, they should do an uh, they should do an update. It would be really cool to see how Disney's portrayal of death has actually changed since they first published this. Mm-hmm. We can find them and tweet them. That's your job, Mr. Chief Content Officer slash strategist. On it. This genuinely was the best source to cover for this topic. It's like it was completely made for this episode. It's brilliant. Meredith, Aaron, and James, thank you. You guys rock. Don't ever change. XOXO. Gossip yeah. girl. <laughs> and if we are reaching out to them and if, if we want them to kind of come back to this, I just really hope they haven't like like murdered anyone because we haven't really looked them up and we're here singing their praises. Oh, what, maybe, yeah, if, I like, should Meredith look into that. People? Okay, so we jumped to cannibalism. All right, this is, Okay. I'm just Pivot. saying we we got to watch the brand. I'm going to I'm going to check them out. Sorry, Meredith, if you if you don't eat people, um, which statistically I'm assuming you don't. <laughs> yeah, but on a serious note, though, the fact that you can take a Disney movie or any piece of media and apply the following like what we've learned today, so uh, character status, depiction of death, death status, emotional reaction and then causality, what you get is you get a bigger holistic picture of death in whatever you're looking at this is peak thanatology for me my favorite takeaway is that i think it's great how it kind of applies the groundwork for basic understanding around children's understanding of death in a very very tangible way yeah i think it's really cool how it mentions that disney provides you know rudimentary grief models for kids whether it was intended to or not i don't think that matters because That's exactly what we talked about when we were coming up with this episode, when we were sort of brainstorming episode ideas about Mm -hmm. how our initial understanding or or exposure to death really came through media like movies and stuff like that, majoritively speaking. 
Mm-hmm. Intentions aside, it also helps children and honestly, some adults better understand and guide their understanding of grief and the type of appropriate responses to it. Along with this, really highlighting that in most cases, death is permanent and encouraging kids to live their lives as a hero or a baby face. Yeah, it's all about education. So where there's gaps in our education system, then that's where pop culture and media will fill those gaps. Now, whether that's a good thing or whether that should <laughs> have to happen in the right environment but these movies give parents and guardians the opportunity to watch these films with their kids and to walk them through the death scene what they're seeing hearing thinking and feeling and to understand what's happening it also lets the kid ask questions if they have any yeah and i think it goes two ways because it also gives the adult to the opportunity to naturally approach this subject Mm. because i think a lot of parents are anxious of how to bring this up to their kids Yeah, totally. I mean, that's the kind of parent I'd want to be. You're too much of a heel. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Wait, so would Steve Irwin be a baby face? Oh, man, he would be the babiest of baby faces. (laughs) That's the life that he deserves. Yeah. Did you enjoy this episode? Do you want us to cover more Death in Disney? Did we miss something from one of your favorite movies? Crikey. Hit us up and let us know on all social platforms at Philatimo Life. This could become a regular thing, this Disney thing or whatever. Or the accent. I don't know. <laughs> Please just pick one accent and stick to it. So that's Philatimo Life. P-H-I-L-O-T-I-M-O-L-I-F-E. Thank you for listening. Bye. <laughs> just burp into the mic. No, I said bye. It sounded like you burped and you burped bye. Bye. <laughs> I can do that one. No. Oh my god! Don't give give yourself hiccups. I can actually, um, I can fart. Mary had a little lamb. Oh my god! With your butt or your hands or your armpit? You know, people can stick their hand under their armpit. Oh, there's that dude who can like. And there's like the thing with the hands. Yeah. That just sounds like you're passing gas. Yeah. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) 